the National Supplemental Screening Program, NSSP. It's a program that is funded by the U.S. Department of Energy with the, the purpose of providing uh, free medical screening exams to, uh, to former workers from uh, any of the Department of Energy sites around, around the country. And um, these exams are incredibly comprehensive. Um, uh, more than a thousand different pieces of clinical information are collected on each of the people who volunteer to participate in the program. Wow. And the whole idea is to help identify uh, if these former workers have developed any health conditions related to exposures that they had back when they worked at a Department of Energy site. Um, and, uh, and part B of that is to uh, help identify if there are any other health problems that they might not be aware of that might not be related to their past work, but are important for them to know for their overall health and well-being and good information for them and their doctors. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORU podcast. It is Wednesday, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jenna Harpenow. Jenna, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm really well. Um, I don't know why, but things feel like they're on the upswing. Oh, I like it. <laughs> We've been talking about all <laughs> things COVID and remote for months now. And I don't yeah. Know, the world is feeling a little bit better. Good. I like that. Um, we have a really cool conversation today. Um, the National Supplemental Screening Program is one of those programs that ORU does that sort of, it's been bubbling along for a while and we know it's there, but we don't talk about it a whole lot. It's because they so, do such a good job. They don't, you well, know, there aren't any right. problems. <laughs> <laughs> it just works and yep. that's what it does. Um, so today, um, we're going to change that a little bit. And we have with us um, Dr. Zach Hubble, who is a research associate for the National Supplemental Screening Program, and Dr. Lee Newman, who is the director of the Center for Health, Work, and Environment at the Colorado School of Public Health, and a key partner, um, I think I'm saying that correctly, for the NSSP. And gentlemen, welcome to Further Together, the ORU podcast. We're glad to Thank, have you. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Um, good morning. Dr. Newman, if you'll go first, tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role is with the NSSP. Well, my background is as a pulmonary physician, uh, but uh, about 15 years ago, I shifted out of um, uh, addressing the health, uh, lung health of workers in my clinic to uh, help start a school of public health. And for the last 15 years, I've been a professor at the Colorado School of Public Health. Excellent. Zach, how did you um, get involved in the NSSP? And tell us a little bit too about your background. Sure, yeah. Um, so my, my PhD is in biological anthropology. 
historically a field where most people go into a career in biological anthropology at a university. Um, for me, that was it was becoming evident that was not the ideal career choice. So um, I, I discovered the my current role at the NSSP quite by accident, really, just looking for a career that would allow me to utilize my strengths as a researcher and a science writer, um, but also in a role that would benefit people. Um, and so even though I came across it by accident, I found that, that my role with the NSSP and at ORU does that quite well. It's a happy accident, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Those are sometimes the best. Absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Newman, can you tell us a little bit more about what the NSSP is and how it kind of got started? Sure. So uh, the National Supplemental Screening Program, NSSP, uh, dates back, I, I think, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, I think 2005 is yes, when right. it kicked off. And uh, and uh, it it's a program that is funded by the U.S. Department of Energy with the, the purpose of providing uh, free medical screening exams to, uh, to former workers from uh, any of the Department of Energy sites around, around the country. And um, these exams are incredibly comprehensive. Um, uh, more than a thousand different pieces of clinical information are collected on each of the people who volunteer to participate in the program. Wow. And the whole idea is to help identify uh, if these former workers have developed any health conditions related to exposures that they had back when they worked at a Department of Energy site. Um, and, uh, and part B of that is to uh, help identify if there are any other health problems that they might not be aware of that might not be related to their past work, but are important for them to know for their overall health and well-being and good information for them and their doctors. How many workers at this point have volunteered to be part of the NSSP? I, gosh, I believe we're sitting at uh, over 25,000 exams wow. and uh, more than 20,000 individuals who have been screened in the program over the last 15 years. Wow. Um, Dr. Newman, how did this program get on your radar? Uh, well, I've, I've had a, uh, an interest in the health of uh, workers um, in general, and in particular at Department of Energy sites, going back for me into the mid-1980s when uh, I started uh, seeing workers in my clinic who had a uh, disease called chronic beryllium disease. Uh, it's a relatively rare disease anywhere outside of uh, certain industries where a lot of beryllium, a lightweight toxic metal, is used. And that led me to get involved with uh, sites uh, around the country uh, where beryllium was being used, and um, and in the in the late 80s, uh, I uh, I intersected with uh, the folks uh, at uh, ORAU who uh, were involved in um, helping to monitor the health of uh, these these same workers, and so we ended up teaming up in around 2004 to put together the proposal uh, that went into the Department of Energy. Great. Um, I have to imagine that with 25,000 workers, that's a giant data set. And if you're asking them for you know, all those data points, there's a giant data set there to be 
mind for research purposes. Um, talk about how that data gets used and, and um, what kind of things you might be looking for in that process. Sure, and maybe I'll take part of this, and Zach, you want to take part of that? Certainly, uh, yeah. I, I'm going I'm to start with a humble brag for the program. <laughs> 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 because uh, one of the things that we, we said in the beginning was that we were taking on a, a, pretty, a pretty huge task, uh, mm -hmm. offering exams all over the country within, you know, the goal was to be within 30 miles of people's homes, be able to get them results within, uh, you know, an average of two to three weeks. Uh, and, uh, and to have it be something that could be immediately understood and usable for them in their lives. Um, that was a, a, a big lift. And so back in, uh, from the beginning, we said the way we're going to do this is by establishing a, uh, an, a, an online secure data system for all of the data to be funneled in and then have algorithms in the background that would help us to assemble the data and even start to construct the kinds of letters that we'd be writing back to people and then have a whole layer of, of real you know, health professionals reviewing those, but, but to help um, uh, organize the data and make it possible for us to get a, a good results letter back out to the uh, participating former workers. That's still our first priority is okay. getting quality information in their hands. What it did was uh, to essentially create a, uh, a, an online uh, data system that can be interrogated and analyzed to answer important questions. And Zach, I'll let you kind of take it from there. Sure, yeah. Uh, some of the recent research that's been done that, that I find is really important, especially to Dr. Newman's point that, um, you know, the program primarily serves the workers. It's there for them to uh, receive their screening results and, and be informed if they've got any issues that might need to be followed up with. Um, in 2016, the group published a paper that looked at, it really delved into the integrated approach that the program takes, where uh, not only are we screening for occupational illnesses, but non-occupational illnesses as well. Um, and uh, in fact, a large proportion of the significant medical findings from the program are non-occupational, um, which to the participant is equally important. So um, that first paper really outlined what the program does and how it benefits workers in both of those ways. Um, we've had a particular, particularly interesting challenge, I'll say, um, navigating some of our data to answer some of the questions we have, just because, you know, once again, um, the program is not set up to be a research program. Uh, okay. So some of the questions we have, uh, we have to get a little bit creative with how we sort through the data that we've collected. And, and also, as, as Dr. Newman pointed out, with uh, a thousand data points for every participant, every exam, um, we have quite a lot to, to look through. So um, some of the, the more recent questions we've been asking have to do not only with participant health, but uh, some of the factors that go into uh, assessing whether participants return to the program because they are eligible for rescreenings every three years. Okay. Um, you know, what factors might influence their decision to do that or, or not? Um, that's one of our recent focus uh, focus points. Um, so, so there's a whole whole list of things that we as a group have recently come up with that we are interested in delving into. Um, and, you know, rather than list them all, I'll just say that, you know, the, the limits are sky high, really. Yeah, and then building on that, Zach, you know, going back to that first paper, the first thing we want to know is, is, is this is a program like this making a difference? 
Mm -hmm. We're putting taxpayer dollars uh, to work here to do these exams, and we were getting tremendous positive feedback from the people who participated. They're grateful for the exams that they're getting, but is it doing what it's supposed to do? And and uh, and I think the uh, the remarkable uh, finding from that was published in that first paper was that the answer is yes. That uh, uh, I can't remember the you know it doesn't matter the exact numbers, but over eighty percent of the participants had one or more health issue identified. And almost a half of those were suspected occupational illnesses, and the other half um, were other health problems like diabetes, uh, uncontrolled high blood pressure, um, cancers of one kind or another, and very often were health conditions that people were not aware that they had until this exam was done. So to us, that was a, a huge validating research study. So on some levels, I mean, it's truly a life-saving mm -hmm. program if you're finding, um, you know, cancers and other health conditions that people weren't aware of um, at all until they came to participate. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and there's, a, you know, there's both that personal side and, you know, I, I wish we had Dr. McInerney, Dr. Mack on the, on the uh, podcast today because, you know, he could read to you from the kinds of letters and emails that he gets from participants about how grateful they are for, for uh, in some cases, the life-saving discoveries of the program. Um, the, the, there's also an economic side, and what we're planning to do in, in the, the, this, uh, this coming year is to uh, connect up with uh, health economists and start looking at, well, what is the, the economic benefit of discovering these different health conditions at, at early stages or when they're out of control and you know somebody then gets into care and gets their diabetes or their hypertension uh, or, or other health conditions addressed um, because it's gonna have both an economic benefit as well as a, a personal health benefit. This is one of the questions I have on the list, but, and you, you just answered it a little bit in terms of the evolution of the program. I mean, it sounds like um, <clears throat> being able to bring in the ec economic impact side and, and other aspects of the value of the screening program um, are part of that evolution of what, you know, we have this data. It's not only this longitudinal study of workers, but has a life-saving element. It has an economic, you know, cost-saving you know, to the medical establishment element. And then, you know, there's even more, I uh, imagine, coming down the pike in terms of what what the impact of having all of this this data and these folks who are getting initially screened and then rescreened will be. Talk if, to that us makes, a, if that okay. makes sense. Talk to <laughs> us know, a I little bit about how um, COVID has impacted the program and you know are you seeing a decline in people wanting to come in and and, and do this study i mean how how is that impacting your studies and, and the amount of participants that you have well it's a it's a, a great question jenna because uh as soon as covid hit we had to make some pretty fast decisions about what's safe and what's unsafe for our participants and on one hand there's the, the, the proven benefit of participating in the program. On the other side, could it be done safely? Could we really be sending mm -hmm. people to their local clinics? And, uh, and so for a period of time, we suspended the program. We, we stopped uh, enrolling people. We, you know, we had a 
backlog already of people waiting to get in. We had to put everything on hold. Uh, we worked with the Department of Energy and there are other former worker programs uh, that um, all got together and, uh, and came up with some best practices. Uh, we anticipated that we would be making decisions um, uh, you know, to uh, you know, gradually reopen in some locations. So we started off by suspending the program, putting in place our policies, our practices, looking at how we would gather data to make uh, informed decisions about when we could start to let people come back in to get um, clinic visits. Um, we have um, uh, selectively uh, reopened uh, for visits uh, here just recently. Uh, we're doing it with a whole heck of a lot of monitoring of what's happening in those clinics to make sure that our participants are safe. Uh, we don't want anybody coming in if they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're also sure. getting feedback from them about what their experience is like during the time of COVID. So we're monitoring it um, you know, literally daily mm -hmm. and having to make decisions depending upon what happens with the third wave of, uh, of this pandemic mm -hmm. uh, about whether we may even have to hold off again in some locations. So we're proceeding with, uh, I would just say, an abundance of caution because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we, we certainly don't want to put any of these former workers who already have health vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. um, you know, at added risk. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that, that although, you know, obviously a global pandemic is a bad thing, but <laughs> from a program standpoint, you know, from, from day one, actually before we decided to suspend the screenings themselves, um, all of the programs and DOE have been extremely uh, congenial and um, helpful to one another, meeting weekly and then bi-weekly after that to uh, establish what are, as, as Lee said, the, the best practices and how should we move forward. Um, and, and we've had some time to focus on some other things that may not have had quite as much attention under normal circumstances. Our research program is one of those things, and uh, you know I think it was actually uh, Lee's suggestion early on that we take the opportunity to really dig into some of the other things that uh, maybe had been set aside for the, for the time being. Um, so, so there have been some some ancillary benefits to what's going on in terms of the slowdown in our typical work. Zach, can I ask what some of those things might be, just from a from a research perspective? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, one of the things that have, has been developed in recent years in the program is a strategic plan, um, mm -hmm. which was a suggestion from our, our independent advisory committee. Um, and that's something we are very proud of, uh, how, how, how it's been turning out. Um, one of the, the goals in that strategic plan is to continue developing a research program that serves to benefit, uh, you know, our, our former worker population, as well as future former workers, you know, which is to say uh, some of the current DOE workforce. Um, and so we really had a chance to sit down and establish uh, recurring research group meetings um, where members of, of ORU and uh, University of Colorado get together and discuss what are our priorities. Um, we, we make progress on, on ongoing studies um, and it's allowed us to focus on how we can really make the most out of this uh, slight downturn in our, our screenings. So that, that's one example of, of how this has changed things in an unexpected way, but that we're trying to make the best of. 
Right. Um, uh, either for Zach or for Dr. Newman, um, will going forward from the pandemic, um, will you be intentionally looking for or monitoring for, you know, some of the long haul symptoms? You know, we hear about some of the long haul patients and some of the longer term symptoms from COVID. Um, I don't know that you'll be monitoring for them specifically or, you know, part of, just as part of the screening, but I expect there may be things to report at some point down the road. Yeah, we do, we do collect uh, data, which is not specifically about COVID. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but all the symptom questions, uh, we can certainly look at those and, and determine if people have had those symptoms or have developed, have developed those symptoms. But that's not really the express purpose of the, of the program. Sure. Uh, you know, our, our, our goal isn't to turn this into a, uh, a duplication of screening efforts that are going on in the public health community. Um, so, so that's not a specific focus. And we also feel like, um, you know, the, the, the funding that we have uh, should uh, always look back specifically at the primary question, which is, can we identify if there are any uh, health consequences from people having worked at Department of Energy sites in the past. So it's a separate question from the COVID question, but I, I think uh, indirectly we're going to end up learning something about COVID. Okay. That makes sense. Um, in the, I guess, 15 years since the program has existed, are, are there workers who have, I guess, gotten their screenings like every three years, sort of like clockwork that you can sort of do trend data and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the questions that developed into a recent research topic was, you know, what can we look to, to, for lack of a better word, find a, a predictor of who will uh, likely return when they're eligible, who will not return at all, you know, who will take a while. Um, what we're finding is that, um, there are some things we can link back to uh, likelihood of returning to the program. Um, that's that's you know, another topic because we're still working on that project. Um, but uh, you know, we we also are doing a secondary project looking at individuals who have returned for rescreening and comparing their results from their initial exam to their uh, first rescreening exam and looking for anything that that might. Uh, jump out as important there in terms of uh, change in, in health status. Uh, so we do have quite a few people. We're up to, I think, uh, a fourth rescreening is the, the furthest stage in the program that we've gotten over to. Um, and with a three-year rescreening eligibility and 15-year tenure of the program, you know, that shows that there are some people who are very serious about getting their exams as, as soon as they're able. Right. Um, and there are, uh, you know, a few exceptions here and there. Um, evaluated by Dr. McInerney and Lee and others in, at DOE, um, people have cer certain situations that might warrant an exam that's slightly uh, earlier than we would otherwise allow. Those are very few and far between. Okay. Um, I know one of the key partners um, in the program is Axiom Health. Or is it Axion or Axiom? Um, Axion, yeah. Axion Health, sorry. Um, 
And Dr. Newman, I know that you had some involvement with them and now they're a key partner um, in the process or in the program. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they, uh, they provide the, um, uh, the platform, the IT platform on which the, the program is run. And, uh, and so they've been a key partner. I'm no longer part of that, uh, that, right. that company, but back at, uh, at the beginning, uh, I wore a hat both, uh, with the NSSP at the university of Colorado as a doctor reviewing the results of the letters. But in the meantime, the company was serving as the, uh, data backbone. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was how we were able to collect all the information and run the algorithms and then feed that into everybody who has to look at the data and produce the letters. Uh, at the time in, you know, 2005, um, that was kind of a radical idea that we would be, I mean, I think if you look back, it's 15 years, but, uh, you know, in that period of time, uh, at that time to have things like, um, you know, all the data coming from all these different directions and then securely be uh, something that could be reviewed by different people with different kinds of permission to see data and to have algorithms running to try to help us uh, as a kind of uh, machine learning process almost, uh, you know, make some sense out of the data um, before, uh, you know, we start laying our eyes on it. And just for tracking, keeping track of all these pieces of information, these labs and x-rays and everything, that was at, at then kind of radical. Now it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. But 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you were ahead of your time. We were, we were definitely ahead of our time. And, and really, it, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it was built in a way that um, we've known all along that, you know, if the funding were there, we could, you know, we could increase the number of exams we do by much greater numbers, right? We're, we're really only capped by, well, right now by COVID. But before that, the only cap was how much funding was there available to do the exams um, because the, the, the platforms there and the partners are there. Uh, Comprehensive Health Services has, you know, over 10,000 clinics around the country that are their partner here as well. Mm -hmm. That, you know, gives us the access to the clinics that are in people's backyards. Um, then the, the funneling of the data, uh, um, you know, electronically, um, you know, we're, we're, we're set up to be able to do even a whole lot more than we're doing now. Some of the recent benefits of having that Axion platform uh, are quite significant. I mean, I, I was not part of the program before the automatic letter production system was in effect. Um, but that is something that we now have where, uh, you know, there's an automatic form letter that's generated on the basis of the findings. And of course, this gets reviewed by, you know, multiple individuals, including two physicians before it ever goes out to a participant. Um, but having that system in place where you know, people like myself, one of the other things I do is editing these letters, um, can go in and very easily all in one system, look at appointments, look at results, um, the sites where an individual worked, their demographic information, all of that is in one place. And that is so helpful in, in putting all this together. And it wasn't always like that. So I, for one, am grateful <laughs> that we have that tool <laughs> at our disposal. Uh, you know, just this morning, I, I was on the system because I was flagged that I had some, some letters to review. Uh, a physician assistant who works with me had already looked at these, uh, these draft letters, made her edits, 
I was able to look them over electronically. I could look at all of the raw data. I could look at the radiologist report. Everything is all there online. And then I can you know, make edits uh, and then click to uh, save it and send it on to the next reader. And so it's a, and then it flew over to Arvada where, you know, uh, you know, probably Zach or other folks then take it, finalize it and get it off to the participant. Wow. I love so it. Nice. It sounds like it. Um, is there anything that you want to make sure we talk about that I haven't asked or that Jenna hasn't asked about the program? I have something I want to add, and sure. uh, uh, and it's that uh, you know this is this is a, a remarkable partnership. You know, I've been in the field of occupational safety and health for I don't know thirty five years now, and uh, to have a, a a program that runs this smoothly and as a partnership. Uh, is really pretty special. Uh, it's unusual in my experience to have a collaboration that's had the kind of meaning and impact uh, over the long haul like this one's had. And, and, you know, that, and that's, that's got nothing to do with the technology. That's just got everything to do with the people. And, uh, and you know, I think the, the partners that we've had through the years, um, you know, folks like Donna Craigle, and we mentioned Dr. Mack, and there's Bill Stenge. There's a long list of people, and now we've got a new generation of people who are part of this, like Zach, uh, has, made a, 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 has made it possible. And, um, and that's something which, you know, it's easy to overlook. We can look at all the statistics and all the cool, you know, tricks we can do with the, with the data. But at the end of the day, everybody's got this shared value, which is that we want to do things that benefit the health and well-being of these former workers. And, right. And, and that, makes, that makes it all work. I was going to say, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the Center for Health, Work, and Environment um, named ORU Partner of the Year um, at its award ceremony um, that was held virtually actually last week. So That's in right. Early, in early October. So. And, and uh, you know, that the, the committee that reviewed uh, the candidates for that award, uh, it was it was unanimous and kind of a no-brainer because when you look at <laughs> you look at what ORAU has done and done in partnership with us, but has done overall, uh, is is a big deal. So. And I think you know you said you said at the ceremony exactly what you said just a minute ago in terms of you know the heart of the program and doing something for the benefit of workers and doing it together, and that it's you know the technology and the tricks and the data are all well and good, but at the end of the day, it boils down to protecting the health of energy workers. And that's why the program line. exists. Absolutely. So. It's the bottom line. And, and well, to echo what you said, you know, this, this program has ruined me for <laughs> forever going anywhere else because I, I agree. It's just such a wonderful collaboration. Yep. Well, I want to thank you both for yep, joining you. us today and for telling us a little bit more about the program. I have learned a lot yep. <laughs> <laughs> about the National Supplemental Screening Program that I did not know before we had this conversation today. So I'm sure that the folks who listen to this episode will feel the same way. Well, and make sure they know that if they're a former uh, energy worker, they're eligible to participate in the program. Excellent. Absolutely. Thank you so, for making that point. Yeah, jump jump on the website and 
uh, and you know, contact us and we'll get you on the list. Great. Thank you so much, Zach and Lee. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank, Thank you. you all. You all Have take a great care. Day. Be well, be safe. You too. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.